Hello again, fight fans. I'm Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly. This is episode 101 of The Neutral Corner. Thank you for joining us. No Don King impression this week, uh, although it went over pretty well. I think most of you liked it. I, I need to do better with the voice, but I hope you had fun with that episode last week, episode 100, and now uh, back to basics. I don't think I mentioned last week with all the Hall Halloween festivities, uh, that the November issue of Boxing Monthly is out. So make sure you guys go check that out. Uh, of course, there's a feature of Carl Frampton. You see him on the cover here. But I enjoyed this feature by John A. McDonald about Joseph Parker and where he fits into the heavyweight mix. Everybody right now is talking about Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua. But Joseph Parker does figure into the mix. I did a rant video about that on Sunday. If you haven't seen that yet, check it out. Uh, there's some things I left out of that video, though, that I'll talk about in this, in this episode. So, a lot to get to. Let's hit some news and notes. Real quick, wanted to thank Rex Afraziabi for pledging to our Patreon page. Guys, thank you everyone, all of our Patreon supporters. Rex is the latest to join. Rex, thank you so much for joining the team. Guys, if you haven't checked out the Patreon page, please do, patreon.com slash MonteroOnBoxing. Whatever you can give, if you can give. Some people look at it as a tip. It's like when you go to a bar and you order a drink and you give a tip to the bartender or when you go out to a restaurant, you tip the waiter, the waitress, whatever. Some of you look at the Patreon thing as just a tip for the work that myself and Tiffany Lamb do here for the channel. Check out a shirt, you can go to Patreon. Guys, if you could do that, we we don't charge anybody for any of our material. We just ask that those of you who can pledge and would like to, please check out the Patreon page. So thanks again, Rex. All right, news and notes, boxing related. WBC is demanding a rematch between Lewis Neri and Shinsuke Yamanaka. You guys, I think I talked about this before, but Lewis Neri, who beat him, beat Yamanaka earlier this year to grab a Bantamweight title, the WBC Bantamweight title, he tested positive for a cattle steroid. I'm trying to think, what's the name of the actual substance? Zil, Zilpadrol. Zilpadrol is the name of the substance. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. But it's actually a cattle steroid. And here's what's interesting about the whole thing, okay? Um, Neri was tested in Tijuana, I think two weeks before the fight, actually about, yeah, two weeks before the fight took place. So he was tested in Tijuana on July 27th by VADA. He was part of the clean boxing program because he uh, had a WBC title or he was rated by the BC before he had that title. The results were not revealed until a month later on August 27th. The fight took place on August 15th and he TKO'd Yamanaka in Kyoto, Japan. So that looked kind of suspicious, right? Here's the thing. He was tested three times in Japan after he left camp in Tijuana and went over to Japan to, to fight Yamanaka. He was tested three times there and passed those tests. So he failed one test in Mexico, goes over in Japan, tested three more times, passes those, those tests. So this substance, Zilpaterol, was in his system, traces of it, while he was still in Tijuana, when he went over to Japan, the traces of it were gone. So the WBC has investigated this and coming down with this ruling. After consulting with the Health in Sport 
Ministries of Mexico, the WBC, who is headquartered in Mexico City, quote unquote, cannot make a determination without with sufficient certainty as to whether Mr. Neri's adverse finding was the result of intentional ingestion, ingestion of a banned substance to improve performance, unquote. Okay. So what they're saying is the tainted meat thing in Mexico, the tainted cattle. We've talked or we've talked about cases before. I think um, with the WBC, with the clean boxing program through VADA, I think they busted was it Francisco Vargas before his fight with Orlando Salido? I think maybe it was clenbuterol. I don't remember for sure what substance it was, but they have found, and this is like a nationwide thing in, in Mexico, and it's, it's across all sports. They've, this has hit soccer, this has hit different sports down there. Tainted meat, something in the cattle. So if you go visit Mexico, do not eat any freaking beef while you're down there. But the WBC has mandated that Neri will not be punished, but they want a rematch between Neri and Yamanaka to take place. Vada will continue to test Neri with a specific program. So it, it'll be more than the clean boxing program where they just randomly test the top 15th rated fighters in each division. There will be a specific ongoing program for Neri, just like they do with Alexander Povetkin. And that will be on Neri's dime, not the WBC's dime. The WBC is making a request to VADA and WADA, who I've talked about before. WADA sets the protocol for VADA, USADA, UCAD, all of them to follow, to reassess the protocols around clembuterol and zilpaterol because these two substances apparently have been found in tainted meat before and fighters have been busted in situations like this. And it's kind of left the WBC and other, I think other sanctioned organizations as well in a bad spot and the fighters themselves, because it's been determined that, and not just boxers, of course, this is other sports, that these substances, while they may be performance enhancing in a way, they are found in meat. They are found in cattle. So you can consume meat without knowing you're taking this banned substance and it's not improving your performance in any way because it's trace elements. So there's still a lot of debate around this. So the WBC is asking WADA, VADA and WADA to reassess how we go about testing for those specific banned substances. Uh, yeah, taint to meat example. Interesting here, only the A sample was tested on that July 27th uh, sample taken in Tijuana. The B sample was never tested and that's normally what happens. So and, and again, that specific test in Tijuana, that was done through the clean boxing program which I have stated before, great idea. The concept of it's great, but it needs to be improved. And here's an example of it. Why wasn't the B sample tested? That doesn't make sense. I just think you need to have clear rules that need to be followed every single time. There needs to be a standard protocol and there's still these one-off situations that keep occurring. And I understand it's a new thing. It's gonna take time. And, and yes, this is science, but it's debated science. Remember, some of these banned substances, people are even uh, questioning, people with a lot of knowledge on the situation are questioning if they should be banned substances. And that was the issue with Alexander Povetkin before. Even uh, people like Victor Conti questioned Luis Ortiz and his recent uh, testing issues as well as to how performance enhancing uh, the two substances he was busted for are. So, that's the situation right now with Lewis Neri, who actually fought last weekend. I'll talk about that later in this episode. But 
Him and Yamanaka going to do it again for that WBC Bantamweight title. So he's kind of on a probationary thing right now, getting tested more. All in all, I like this ruling, okay? It's pretty transparent. I don't like that the B sample wasn't tested. I don't like that. But all things considered, with the science that we do have and what we do know, considering the way the tests were conducted and the results that we got, I think this is a pretty good ruling. Okay, more WBC news. They're having a basically a mini tournament at junior welterweight at 140 pounds. So Jesse Magdaleno, who was scheduled to fight this coming Saturday, November 11th, on an ESPN card that I'll preview later in this episode, he pulled out due to a left wrist injury. I've heard rumors that he was out of shape and having a fat camp. That's I've heard some things like that, and, and that might have had a little something to do with it. Could just be rumors. I don't know. But apparently, legitimate left wrist injury. He's out. Okay, cool. Jose Ramirez is fighting Mike Reed. That fight has been elevated to the main event. Now, why do I bring this up? Because the winner of that fight is set to face Amir Imam next, who also fights in that card against a woeful opponent who he'll destroy. The winner of that eventual fight is going to fight the winner of a fight between Victor Postal and Regis Progre, Regis, Regis Progre, who are fighting for the interim WBC 140-pound title. So, Victor Postal, so Postal and Progre are going to fight. And then the winner between Ramirez and Reed, which is this Saturday, is going to fight Amiri Mam early next year. Winners of those two fights will fight for the full title probably summer of next year. I like that little mini tournament. I kind of like that. It's not an official tournament or anything. It's just the way the WBC figured out what to do in that situation when Terrence Crawford went up to 147 pounds and that title there became vacant. So I like that a lot, man. I like anytime you get a group of young fighters all facing each other like this, and they're not all young. Of course, Victor Postel is the, the veteran there, but they're all top-rated fighters or at least top-rated prospects, junior contenders that we want to see more of. So interesting style matches too with all those guys. So a lot of good stuff there. And I'll talk about that Ramirez Reed fight later on in the preview portion of this episode. Okay, one more uh, quick news thing here. WBO mandatory eliminator. And I talked about this a little bit in my rant video that I posted yesterday. This is for the heavyweight uh, mandatory position to face Joseph Parker eventually. Alexander Povetkin, who is rated number six by the WBO, is supposed to fight Christian Hammer December 15th. Christian Hammer somehow is rated number one by the WBO. I don't know how. He shouldn't even be rated in the top 20. They're fighting December 15th in Russia. They've also announced that if Hammer should pull out, because I think Hammer has expressed concerns about going over to Russia to fight, BJ Flores, who I don't even know what his rating is with the WBO or why he'd be rated at all as a heavyweight or a top heavyweight, he would fill in and substitute. So it's either going to be Povetkin versus Hammer or Povetkin versus Flores, December 15th in Russia, to determine Joseph Parker's mandatory for the WBO title. So that's it with news and notes this week, guys. Let's get into the review of what took place last week. Saturday, November 4th in Tijuana, Baja, California, Mexico, Luis Neri, I was just talking about, scored a TKO 6 over a Filipino fighter, Arthur Villanueva, in a non-title fight. 
As I mentioned before, he has the Bantamweight title for the WBC that's 118 pounds. He came in at 120 for this fight. This was kind of a stay busy fight for him while the WBC figured out what to do with the Vada situation and we know what they did there. So uh, Luis Neri adds another win and stays busy. In Monte Carlo, this is in Monaco, this is an HBO card. Uh, Jamie McDonald had a no decision against Laborio Solis. The fight was stopped in the third round due to a McDonald cut. There was a headbutt and he was cut above, I wanna say it was the left eye and the ref determined, the fight doctor determined that the fight should be stopped. Uh, Solis started quick and won the first round, but I thought McDonald started to find his groove in the second round, and it was pretty much an even fight. It was really starting to get pretty good in that third round before that headbutt. I think that this was going to be a pretty good fight. I don't know what goes on here. This, this was a mandated rematch because in the first fight where McDonald won the title, a lot of people felt that was a gift decision. He didn't deserve it, and the sanctioning organization demanded that a rematch happen. Is that gonna, are they gonna have a, a third fight now? I, I don't know what's gonna happen with this. The, 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 I think it was the WBA, they didn't say anything. So we'll wait to hear what they say. But um, tough break for both fighters, man, because I thought that was shaping up to be a pretty good scrap. And then Dimitri Bevel improves to 12 0 with 10 knockouts, decapitating Trent Broadhurst in a fight that was a complete joke and shouldn't have never taken place. This is the first defense of the full WBO. Light heavyweight title for Bevel. He won the interim title in February and was elevated by the WBA when Andre Ward retired. So Bevel is 26 years old. He's a legit contender. I'd say he's above prospect level given his amateur experience and just the dominance he's had against some of these other fellow prospect level, fringe contender, journeyman level fighters. But he still hasn't fought a top 10 fighter yet. He still hasn't fought a top 10 light heavyweight, right? So we could call him a junior contender, baby contender, and he's already got a title. But he's not even a full-fledged contender in, in, in the sense that he's fought another top 10 rated light heavyweight. Not necessarily his fault. It's the sanctioning organization's fault for making him a full-on world champion with only 12 fights. And it's not as if he's faced, I, I'm not even going to say elite level competition, but like top 10 level competition, solid contendership level. He hasn't even faced that yet. This is the era we're in, guys, in boxing, where prospects have world titles. It used to be a very rare thing. Now it's very, very common. And remember, guys like Guillermo Rigondo, Vasily Lomachenko, they won world titles with records that looked like a prospect, but they really weren't prospects. I mean, Lomachenko fought... Orlando Salido in his second pro fight. Even his first professional opponent was better than most of the guys Bevel has fought. And, you, you know, same thing with, with Rigondeau. So those guys were special, special anomalies. Most of these guys with less than 20 fights winning world titles, they're really just prospects. And that's still Bevel. We still don't know if he can catch. We know damn well he can pitch. We don't know if he can catch. Broadhurst, an Australian fighter, had never left Australia had fought absolutely nobody. In fact, his last two fights, I think he had one fight this year and his last fight in 2016 were eight rounders. So this guy was fighting eight rounders and it's not as if he fought five times this year. He fought once this year before this one and it was an eight rounder. So just the fact that he was in a title fight is pretty disgusting, but it's the WBA. 
So also on this card, the heavyweight prospect from Germany that I was talking about last week, who I think was a former kickboxer, is giving boxing a try. Agit Kabayel, I hope I'm saying that name right, wins a majority decision over Derek Chisora. Some people have thought, okay, was this home cooking? But no, from what I hear, and I haven't seen this fight, but from what I hear, it was a legit score. He deserved to win the fight. One judge had it a draw. The other two had him slightly winning. And most people that I've talked to said he legitimately, legitimately won this fight. And now Caballo, Caballel is now 17-0 with 12 knockouts. Interesting prospect to look at. I think he's a little undersized in this era of heavyweights, but he's 6'3", big athletic guy. And look, Derek Chisora, yeah, he's a, he's a gatekeeper level heavyweight, but this is a guy who went almost pretty much even with Dillian White last year in one of the best heavyweight fights we've seen in a while. And Dillian White is now lined up to get a crack at Deontay Wilder next year. He's the WBC, quote-unquote, silver titleist, right? And this guy, you know, Caballel, just defeated Chisora at about the same level, maybe even a little more impressively than in, in terms of outboxing than Dillian White did. So for a prospect, that's a pretty good win. Now let's see what Caballo can do from here. Also, Scott Quigg got a win on this card. TKO 6 win for him. He stays busy. Over here in the USA at Barclays Center in Brooklyn, just outside New York City. I know, technically Brooklyn is considered New York City, but those of us who have relatives from New York, we call Manhattan the city, okay? Brooklyn, the Bronx, Queens, those aren't the city. So, yeah, I a little nuance there because I know one of you is going to comment, Brooklyn is New York City. No, it's not. <laughs> okay. I can't wait for the hate on that one. Apparently, 11,000 people showed up for this card at Barclays Center to watch Deontay Wilder harpoon a whale, a whale named Berman Stavern, who he knocked down three times in the first round. Absolutely disgusting that this fight was for... A world title. I'll talk about that fight in a second. I want to talk about the undercard real quick and then we'll get back to Deontay Wilder and what's going on with the heavyweight. So untelevised portion of the card. Showtime didn't think enough about the fight between Dominic Brazil and Eric Molina to air it. And I understand them not wanting to air it on regular Showtime, but it's infinitely cheaper to air undercard fights on Showtime Extreme, which they've done a billion times. They've aired lesser fights than this on Showtime Extreme a million times. You could also stream it live on your YouTube page, on the Facebook page, whatever. And they didn't want to do that, which I find kind of odd. You know, Uncle Al, you figure, could have worked some magic there, but apparently the folks at Showtime didn't think enough of that fight to even put it on Showtime Extreme but Dominic Brazil scores an eighth-round retirement stoppage over Eric Molina. This was a WBC eliminator, and even though Molina was rated number 12 by the WBC, had already lost to Deontay Wilder in 2015 and lost last year to Anthony Joshua, they put him in a title eliminator here. Andy Ruiz was rated, I think, number fourth by the WBC. He didn't have anything going on. They could have put him in line for this fight, but he wasn't. Amir Mansour, who I mentioned in my rant video yesterday, who was up five rounds to zero, pretty much. Or maybe it was four rounds to zero. I can't remember if it was the fourth or fifth round where he got hurt. 
but he won every round practically against Dominic Brazil when they had a fight until he got injured. And then he won his last fight against Travis Kaufman, a serviceable journeyman level heavyweight. Yet he was only rated number 21, which I don't understand. The WBC, some of the stuff they have going on with their heavyweight ratings right now, it's really hard to understand and make sense of it. So either way, Uncle Al wants a fight between Dominic Brazil and Deontay Wilder. There's history there. There was the big melee at the hotel lobby in Birmingham, Alabama earlier this year. I want to say it was March when Wilder fought Gerald Washington there in his hometown. So there's all this bad blood there. Apparently, you know, Brazil has talked about making a lawsuit and going after Deontay Wilder and all this stuff. And one way to settle that would be to make a fight between them so he can make some money. So I'm sure we're going to see that next year. Now we have to because now he's the mandatory anyway. So here's my hope. This isn't a great fight. It won't be a very good matchup. I don't think it'll be even as competitive, and it wasn't competitive, as the Brazil fight with Anthony Joshua was. I think Wilder would get him out of there even sooner than Joshua did. Maybe I'll be proven wrong. We'll see. But I'm hoping that fight, we don't have to wait till May or June to see that fight. I'm hoping we see it in February or March at the latest, because neither guy, Brazil went eight rounds, but he didn't get messed up at all. And, you know, Deontay Wilder barely broke a sweat. So let's make that thing happen in the first quarter of 2018 and get on to bigger and better business. Now, also on this card, Sergey Lipinets wins a 12-round unanimous decision over Okihiro Kondo, Japanese fighter, who was way better than advertised. Looking at his record, you know, sometimes you look at, some of these Japanese fighters you just don't know, just like some of the guys that come up from South America, from countries like Colombia, Argentina, you just don't know what you're getting. You have to really, really look at the record. Well, Kondo had a bunch of losses, but if you look at them, most of them were split decisions, majority decisions, that kind of thing. And it just looks like he was a guy who didn't have very good representation and was served up as an opponent and didn't get the benefit of the doubt in a lot of those decision losses. So definitely better than his record indicates. And Kondo gave Lipinets a good fight. Although Lipinets clearly won eight rounds on my card. Um, the, the scores for this fight were way too wide. I think one judge had it like 119, 109, something like that. Or maybe it was 118, 110, somewhere in that ballpark. Way too wide. I, I thought that Kondo did enough to win about four rounds in this fight. But Lipinets clearly won. Didn't look amazing, looked pretty good at times, but a lot of punches, one punch at a time. Barked with every punch he threw. Very, very kind of one-dimensional. And, you know, when you bark with every punch that you throw, the blah, blah, you know, with every shot you throw, opponents can expect what's coming. They can time that. It makes it easier to know what you're doing because you could literally just start watching a guy's mouth. You don't even have to watch his shoulders because some guys will faint and they'll do stuff with their shoulders. If he's trying to faint and do all that, but he barks when he throws a punch, just look at his damn mouth. When you see his lips start to move, slip or dip because you know a shot's coming. So or a slick boxer, a more sophisticated boxer, I think is going to beat Lippinets. That's just what I see. He was, so he was the mandatory for Terrence Crawford before Terrence Crawford moved up. This was for the vacant IBF title at 140 pounds. After seeing what I saw with Kondo, I think it's very clear that Crawford would have 
chewed his ass up because he would have seen everything coming, particularly with that bark. But Lipinets, look, man, he's another prospect with a title. We can't be too harsh on the guy. He was in there with a pretty decent opponent, but how many fights does Lipinets have? I, I didn't put it on my notes for some reason, but I think it's about a dozen pro fights now. He's still a prospect himself. There's still things to develop and work on. So here's another guy with the title who's essentially a prospect. I think he's graduated to contendership status. I think he is legitimately a top 10, 140-pound fighter, really based on this performance. Because, again, I think Kondo is better than advertised. But elite level? Champion? No, not there yet. Titleist, title holder, top 10, contender at junior welterweight. That's what Lipinets is. Let's see him build up further and continue to develop. Also, Sean Porter. Unanimous decision over Adrian Granados wins the vacant WBC silver welterweight title. Al Heyman has been trying to put together a rematch between Thurman and Porter. And now he, he has the reasoning and the justification for it. So this was the WBC again kind of working with Uncle Al. They're in, that, they're in the PBC Al Heyman business. I've talked before, in fairness, about the WBO being in the top rank business, okay? So this, it's not just, relate, it's not just uh, limited to Al Heyman and the WBC, but they're clearly in business together, and this is part of it. So Sean Porter wins. Um, I like Sean Porter. I like his dad. They're wonderful people, great to talk to, great family. Sean Porter is one of the more honest fighters in boxing. He always shows up in pristine shape. He stays in shape year-round, doesn't blow up between fights, conducts himself like a true professional athlete. But man, he is tough to watch. He just dives in with his head, with his shoulders, with his forearms. He pushes, he mauls. He smothers his own work. He would push Granados up against the ropes and bury his head down in his chest and wing shots like this, and some of the shots would land, but none of them hurt Granados. He cut them because they were winging shots, sliding kind of shots on the side of the gloves that t tend to uh, scrape skin. But none of it clearly hurt Granados, who really is a 140-pounder, and probably, if he really wanted to, could maybe even make lightweight. But, you know, a naturally smaller guy, and never once did Porter really hurt him because of the way he fights. Again, I like Porter, but I don't need to see him fight Keith Thurman again. I think that that fight is a pretty gone conclusion. And for Granados, you know, he belongs at 140 pounds. And just looking at his team, what are they doing for this guy? He can only get fights at 147 pounds where he has, he's at a major political disadvantage. And just looking at his career, he's had three split decision losses, two majority decision losses, two split draws. That's a guy who's been on the wrong side of the political equation. His team is not taking care of him. This is the first legitimate loss of his career, if you really, really want to think about it. You could argue that he won all those other close decisions and draws before. Remember with Granados, this is a guy who gave Amir Imam his first and only professional loss. A great, great performance, right? That was at 140. He gave... Adrian Broner, a really tough fight, and a lot of people felt he deserved that decision over Broner. Why is he fighting Sean Porter on this card? 
In one way, I, I see that he's getting rewarded kind of because this was a WBC title eliminator, essentially, because it's for the silver title, which is basically an eventual mandatory type of situation. I, I, I get that. But why not a rematch with Broner? Why not? Well, he's not going to get a rematch with Imam because of what the WBC is doing at 140, that mini tournament. But why not somebody like even Mikey Garcia? Why not a fight between Adrian Granados and Mikey Garcia at 140 pounds to keep Garcia busy, but to keep Granados busy? He's done enough to deserve that type of matchup. But fighting Sean Porter in this type of matchup where just due to styles, he had no, no possible way to win this fight, and his team had to know this, what are they doing for this guy? A fight between Granados and Mikey Garcia here in Southern California at 140 pounds is competitive and it makes sense and it's marketable. Why can't something like that happen? This guy's team is just doing him absolutely no favors. Anyway, all right, back to the main event with Deontay Wilder. Look, I, I talked about this in my rant video yesterday. I won't go into too much details. You guys, watch that video. Um, this is a situation with Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, Joseph Parker, and some other guys in the mix. Alexander Povetkin, Dillian White, Jarrell Miller, who I'll talk about in a little bit here in this episode. All these guys are going to factor into this heavyweight landscape over the next year or so, and it, we're going to be talking about this a lot. But the big, big fight, the monster fight, is between Deontay Wilder and Anthony Joshua. That's obvious, right? The only fight that would be bigger is possibly if, if Klitschko wanted to do that rematch with Anthony Joshua. And had that fight been signed, it would have taken place in Las Vegas this month. But Klitschko retired. So now the biggest fight you can make with the big boys, and arguably the second biggest fight you can make in boxing right now, second to the Canelo and Golovkin rematch, is Joshua Wilder. But, guys, this is boxing. And every single boxer is basically a sole proprietor. They are their brand. They don't play for a team. They don't play for a league. They're the brand. And this is capitalism. Every fighter has a different market share, a different market value, I should say. And Anthony Joshua's market value is infinitely higher than Deontay Wilder. He's been a pro for less time. He has about half as many pro fights. I think Wilder now has, what, 35 or so fights? I can't remember off the top of my head. And Joshua has 20. But Joshua's already beat a better opponent in Vladimir Klitschko, even though he was a faded, well past his best, years past his prime, Vladimir Klitschko, than anybody Wilder has ever fought or signed to fight. We know he signed to fight Povetkin and Luis Ortiz, and those fights fell through. But even a faded, washed-up Klitschko is infinitely better than those two fighters. So Anthony Joshua has already done more to prove himself as a legit, elite-level fighter, not just heavyweight, but fighter, with that win over Klitschko. Further, he had 90,000 people pay money to see that fight live. He just fought Carlos Takam and had over 60,000 people pay to see him live in Cardiff, Wales. So the guy is a bona fide star over there in the UK. Meanwhile, Deontay Wilder apparently had 11,000 people show up 
Thousands of them did not pay, but 11,000 people showed up to watch him fight Berman Stavern. That's impressive in, in a sense, but that was a loaded card. There was a lot of fights on that card. But all things being considered, the business is way, 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 way different here. So if you're Eddie Hearn and your team, Joshua, would I, just being a boxing fan, forget media and all this stuff, just being a fan, would I love to see Joshua and Wilder fight next year, like next April or May, get right to it? Of course. Even if it was late next year, of course. Do I think it will happen? No. Here's why. Deontay Wilder doesn't have a promoter. He has an advisor. He works loosely affiliated with some promoters like Lou DiBella, but he doesn't have an official promoter. Anthony Joshua does. And they have a major, major brand. They also have, I'm not going to say infinite, but they have a, a handful of options that make a lot of sense. Should David Hay beat Tony Bellew in the rematch? And thank you guys for reminding me. I totally forgot that he was actually winning that fight before he got injured, and that's when Bellew kind of took over. So Hayes should be favored, should he stay injury-free, to beat Bellew. Should Hay beat Bellew, a fight between Joshua and Hay, do I like that fight? No. Do I think David Hay deserves a big fight? No. He's a fraud. But I know what will happen, and so do you. You know Joshua Hay is going to happen early next year. Also, with Deontay Wilder, he has a mandatory with Dominic Brazil. Then he's got the Dillian White situation, who holds the WBC silver title, which is kind of like a mandatory. So at some point, he's going to have to fight Dillian White anyway. We already know Eddie Hearn has offered Wilder $3 bucks to fight Dillian White. Wilder said, no, I want $7 million. We all know that fight ain't worth $7 million. But... Wilder probably can get more than three. So, silver lining. Silver lining of this situation. Deontay Wilder fights Dominic Brazil early next year. Wins. Doesn't get injured. Fights smart. Doesn't hurt his hands. Comes out unscathed. Goes over to the UK, whether it's next summer or next fall. Would be awesome if it would be on an Anthony Joshua card, but they're not going to do that. They want to maximize profits. So it'll be around the same time of an Anthony Joshua card. Wilder and White fight each other. Wilder collects $4 million or so. dollars. Biggest payday of his career, probably more than double the biggest payday of his career at that point. And builds his brand up a little more in the UK. Meanwhile, Anthony Joshua continues. It doesn't matter who he fights. He can put 90,000 butts in, at, at Wembley, or he can go to any arena around the UK and get well over 50,000 people to watch him fight anybody. But a fight with David Hay probably does 90,000 at Wembley, or at least 70,000 or something. He stays busy, and these two keep building up a super fight. And eventually, in 2019... It happens. Meanwhile, maybe AJ can entice Joseph Parker to come over to the UK to fight him and further unified titles. I don't think Deontay Wilder has any leverage to bring Joseph Parker over to the States to fight him. There's going to be way more money 
for Parker to go cash out again, cash out with to go fight AJ in London. And that's another big fight, and it's a unification of three of the four heavyweight titles. So if next year we get Wilder fighting Brazil and White, and we get Joshua fighting probably David Hayes, somebody like that, and then Joseph Parker, and then in 2019 we get the big one, it makes sense, guys. And by then, there might be enough buildup for that fight where financially it would make enough sense for them to bring it to America and put it in Las Vegas and T-Mobile Arena on HBO pay-per-view. By then, Deontay Wilder will be in uh, Deontay Wilder will still be a Showtime fighter, but Anthony Joshua will be an HBO fighter. So let me let me step back a little bit. It'll be a cross promotion between Showtime and HBO here in the States. If it happens in the UK, if Wilder goes over to the UK to fight Joshua, it won't be a pay-per-view here in the States, and it could be a split network fight the way Joshua Klitschko was. But you have options there to build up the fight into a Super Vegas event if that's what you want to do. It's never going to be the kind of fight that Canelo Golovkin is. It's just not going to be that blockbuster kind of fight because... Deontay Wilder just doesn't have the profile, but it can be the second biggest event in boxing. And if Canelo and Golovkin end up doing a second and third fight in Vegas in between all this time, think about it this way, guys. If Canelo Golovkin happens in May, let's say part two, and Wilder and Joshua fought around the same time, that's going to hurt business. Of both those fights. I know a lot of you disagree with me. It would it would hurt the possibility of that fight coming to the States. I just think these things take a longer time to build up. The big super fight right now, the big marketable no-brainer fight is Canelo Golovkin 2. Build up Joshua Wilder in the meantime. And maybe by the end of 2018, but probably the first half of 2019. That is when a Joshua Wilder fight makes the most sense. And it should at that point be for all four heavyweight belts. And it'll be the first time you have a completely unified heavyweight division in decades. So that, I understand, we'd like to see it now. It ain't going to happen. It's going to happen in 2019. This is boxing. These things take time. But guys, trust me on this, man. Back in 2015, I kept telling all of you that a fight between Canelo and Golovkin will eventually happen. I told you guys it would. And you kept saying, no way, no way, no way. And I was right. It eventually happened. This fight between Wilder and Joshua will also happen. Trust me on this one. But it's going to be at least a year probably a year and a half. If the roles were reversed and Deontay Wilder was fighting at the Bryant-Denny Stadium in Alabama, where the Alabama Crimson Tide, the college team, plays football there, it seats over 100,000. If he was packing that arena, that stadium, I should say, the way that Joshua has already packed stadiums in the UK, Maybe this fight would be happening right now, but he doesn't. He just did 11,000, a big chunk of which were gimmies, free tickets, right, for a fight in Brooklyn. Makes no sense. 
And when he does fight in Alabama, he doesn't fight at the Bryant-Denny Stadium. He fights in a different arena, and he puts in respectable crowds of like 10 to 15,000. Very respectable crowds. Can't knock him at all. But it's nowhere near the level that would draw Joshua to come over here to the United States. It just doesn't make sense. And I don't think Wilder and his people want to go over to the UK yet. So it ain't going to happen. Enough with that, guys. We got, we'll talk about that plenty more over the next year or so, I'm sure. Let's get into the preview of what's coming up this week. There's a lot of action on the schedule. Friday, November 10th, it's a Showbox card from Cleveland, Ohio. This is a Lou DiBello card. Undefeated featherweight prospect Luis Roja. He was 23-0 with 11 knockouts. He's fighting in the main event. He was born in uh, Caguas, Puerto Rico, now lives in Connecticut. So um, undefeated Puerto Rican prospect. It's important for this guy to win. For Look, if there's Puerto Rican fighters in boxing, it's good for the brand of boxing here in the States. And right now, there is really, really um, not a very deep pool of Puerto Rican talent. It's kind of diminished recently, which is odd. He's fighting a Cleveland native, Yuandel Evans. And I think it's a pretty even matchup. I think that's going to be pretty interesting. Neither guy has really fought a murderer's row of opponents yet. They're both fighting the highest profile fight to date. I think that's a good scrap. Also undefeated heavyweight Junior Fa, who's from New Zealand. He beat Joseph Parker not once, but twice in the amateurs. He's fighting on this card. He's 12-0 with seven knockouts. He's uh, 6'5". He just went pro last year, but this guy has already ranged in weight from 258 to 280 pounds. Looks like he might be another one of these fat-ass heavyweights that weight's going to be his biggest issue. Hopefully I'm proven wrong and he comes into this fight weighing about 260, but we shall see. Saturday, November 11th in Mexico, the top-ranked fight on BN Sports Espanol. That's B. E-I-N, BN Sports Espanol. Carlos Ocampo is a Mexican fighter who has never fought outside of Mexico. 21-0, 12 knockouts. Going up against Konstantin Pomeranov, who's a Russian who's been living and training in Big Bear with Abel Sanchez. He's 32-0 with 13 knockouts. This is an IBF welterweight title eliminator. And the winner of this fight goes up against Errol Spence. Good luck with that one. In Edinburgh, in Edinburgh, Scotland, sorry about that. Edinburgh, Scotland, a Cyclone Promotions card. Josh Taylor, who's 10-0 at nine knockouts, defending his WBC silver 140-pound title that he won against O'Hara Davies earlier this year against Mexican veteran Miguel Vasquez, taking a, a good leap up in opposition here against a very experienced Mexican fighter. Be interesting to see how Taylor looks against Vasquez, who often plays spoiler. That's what his style is. In Newcastle, there's a Frank Warren card. It's the rematch of the Liams. Liam Smith and Liam Williams. These guys fought on April 8th. It was a good scrap. It ended in a, with, a, with a cut. The judges had Williams up 86-85. All three, same score at the time of the stoppage. But a cut ended that fight. And it was really just starting to get good, man. Touch and go, back and forth. So this should be a good one, this rematch of the Williams. In Fresno, California, it's a top-ranked card on ESPN. I talked earlier about this card, about um, Jesse Magdaleno, uh, or yeah, Jesse Magdaleno pulling out due to injury. He was supposed to be in the main event, but now this main event from the Save March Center in Fresno, California is going to be between 
Jose Carlos Ramirez and Mike Reed. Ramirez, who's from that area, he's from, what's the name of the town? Um, man, I can't think of the name of the town he's from, but it's, it's from just about, oh yeah, Avenal. He's from Avenal, which is about an hour drive from Fresno. He's fought at this venue a couple times and he brings a crowd. It's pretty impressive, the crowds this guy brings as a prospect. He's 20-0 with 15 knockouts. Reed is 23-0 with 12 knockouts. This is a 10-round, 140-pound fight. For Ramirez, 2012 Olympian, good-looking kid, 25 years old. He actually fought Vasil Lomachenko in the World Amateur Championships in 2011. He was beat, but he, he was you know, fairly competitive in that fight. So he had some good experience as an amateur before going pro. I mean, if you're fighting Vasil Lomachenko, and he was basically uh, just a teenager at that time, pretty impressive stuff. Reed is from D.C. He's a southpaw. He's shorter. Uh, Ramirez is 5'10", 72-inch reach. Reed is 5'6", 66-inch reach. He had a pretty good amateur career himself. He was a 2011 National Golden Gloves champ at 141 pounds. All things being considered, I like this fight. I like it a lot, especially considering where the winner goes from here. So this is a pretty good scrap, guys. This is one you definitely want to check out. Also, Amiri Mom is fighting Johnny Garcia on the untelevised portion of this card, I believe. Uh, Garcia fought uh, Adrian Granados back in 2015. Or I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Take that back. Amiri Mom fought Adrian Granados and lost to him back in 2015. Since that loss, he has had a few fights against woeful opposition. And Garcia is no exception. No disrespect to Garcia, who's from Michigan, my home state. But he lost to uh, Juan Carlos Ramirez in 2015, and he also lost to undefeated welterweight prospect Alex Saucedo, a Mexican-born fighter who now lives in Oklahoma City, who's also fighting on this card. He lost to him earlier this year. In fact, Garcia is 0-4-1 in his last five going back to 2014. So when I say that the winner between Juan Carlos Ramirez and Mike Reed between that fight is going to fight Amir Imam next, that's why I'm saying that. This, this fight that Iman, in, Iman is in is a pre-gone conclusion. So I talked about Alex Saucedo being on this card. He is 25-0 with 15 knockouts. He's fighting in a 10-rounder. Also on this card, Artur Bedabiev, 11-0 with 11 knockouts, going up, up against German Enrico Kohling, who's 23-1 with six knockouts for the vacant IBF light heavyweight title. This is one of the titles that was vacated when Andre Ward retired. Baturbiev, or better BF, however you want to say it, and I've heard it said both ways. We've talked about this a lot. Has had promotional issues in his career. He went pro in 2013, only has 11 fights. Hopefully, he can get this back on track. He's one of these guys here. He's, he's going to have a title. This is an absolute mismatch of a fight. Colling was a fine amateur. He went to the Olympics in 2012. He had two seasons with the World Series of Boxing. But as a professional, he's not in the same stratosphere is Baturbiev, whose style just to seek and destroy. I look for him to score a big knockout here. Baturbiev, Baturbiev is going to have 12 professional fights after this fight, 12 knockouts, he's going to have a world title. Another guy with just a dozen pro fights that's going to have a world title. The difference here is he's faced some pretty credible opposition that's proven he's a top 10 light heavyweight. He's a legitimate, proven top 5 light heavyweight. 
So he's definitely in the mix at the very top of the light heavyweight division after winning this fight, even though he only has a dozen fights. Now, HBO has a card the same night from the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York. Daniel Jacobs going up against Luis Arias, 12-round middleweight fight. This is the HBO debut, or HBO debut, the matchroom debut for Daniel Jacobs. And part of this new deal he has, he has fought on HBO pay-per-view before when he fought Golovkin earlier in March, but he's making his debut here now with this new deal. He had fought on HBO earlier in his career, I think, as a prospect. So this is his first comeback fight after the loss to Triple G in March. Put up a really, really good performance. Has since parted ways with Al Heyman. Doesn't really publicly say that, but that's legitimately the case. And is signed with Mr. Eddie Hearn. And a lot of people, when they saw this fight first get announced, thought it was going to be a complete mismatch. I actually think Arias is going to give him a good push. Luis Arias was with Rock Nation. That was his promoter. I don't know if he's still with them or not. I believe he still technically is. I don't know what the situation with Rock Nation is right now. But Arias is, I think, of Puerto Rican heritage, but he lives in Milwaukee. He's an American. He grew up in Milwaukee. Had over 150 amateur fights. Was a two-time middleweight amateur American champion. So he has a good pedigree behind him. He's making a quantum leap in opposition in the pro ranks. We don't know if he can take a good punch. But if he could take Daniel Jacobs' punch, and I look for Jacobs to try to test that chin early. If he could take that punch early, this is going to be a good competitive scrap. I actually think that this is a better fight than people realize, and it will be worth a watch. Also on this card, very entertaining heavyweight scrap between Jarrell Miller and Marius Vok. Miller is 19-0-1 with 17 knockouts, undefeated American heavyweight, and interesting heavyweight prospect, great, great talker, knows how to promote fights, and obviously favored to win this fight. But I think it's a good matchup, man. Vok is 6'7", 82-inch reach. He does bring some size and strength into this fight. He's probably Miller's best opponent to date as a pro. Vok is best known for going the distance with Vladimir Klitschko back in 2012. A very good prime version of Klitschko then. And surviving, but that's only because he took steroids. He was busted for taking steroids after that fight and suspended for a year by the German authorities. I believe Vok is of uh, Polish heritage, but fights out of Germany. He also fought Alexander Povetkin in 2015 in Russia. It was TKO'd late in that fight. Another late rounds stoppage by Povetkin. Uh, around that time in Russia, you know, kind of suspicious looking. A couple of those wins where he was knocking guys out so late in a fight. But be it as it may, Vok has been in there with some of the best heavyweights. Klitschko, Povetkin. Good size, 6'7", 82-inch reach. Miller is 6'4", 78-inch reach. Miller weighed 299 pounds for his last fight against Gerald Washington in July. He was 296 when he fought Fred Cassie last August. The best I've ever seen Jarrell Miller look was in mid-2015. I think it was the summer of 2015 he had a fight, and he was in the mid-250s. That's where he needs to be. To be walking around over 300 pounds in between fights and just under 300 pounds in these fights is eventually going to catch up with him. 
Is this the night it's going to happen? Probably not. Vok just does not have the speed, the athleticism, the skills to catch Miller. I could be wrong. Maybe we'll see an upset special here. It's possible. But I do think Miller wins. And when he does win, where does he fit into the mix here at heavyweight? What's up with him? He's rated highly pretty much by all the sanctioning organizations. He's in the top 10 for all of them, I believe. But he's not lined up for a mandatory type position in any of them. If you're Team Miller, you need to pick which organization you want to work through to get your mandatory shot. Obviously, Miller, I think, matches up best. Let's, let's take Joseph Parker out of the equation. He's got problems with Alexander Povetkin. And he's either going to cash out against Povetkin in Russia late next year or Anthony Joshua in the UK late next year. One of the two, and I think it'll be Joshua. For Miller, you could go after Deontay Wilder. He matches up with him the best, I think, just based on styles. But, man, the WBC, you already got to worry about the Brazil situation, the, the White situation, right? Dominic Brazil, Dillian White. So you're going to have to really wait your turn. If you want to go after Anthony Joshua, right now, the WBA, there's an opening. There's no mandatory there. Not that I know of. They've had some fights scheduled that fell through because of steroids. But I know Frezzo Kendo, because of some legal issues that happened years back, he will be in line at some point for a WBA interim title or regular title, something like that. Maybe Jarrell Miller wants to work his way up in the WBA organization. Maybe through the WBC. I don't know. But he's probably, his mouth is going to either get him a voluntary shot at one of these titles. Or he could work his way up through a mandatory. But I do think Miller, it would be interesting if, I think it would be awesome, regardless of what happens between Bellew and Hay in that rematch. I would love Eddie Hearn and, and Anthony Joshua, instead of fighting David Hay early next year, why not bring Jarrell Miller over to the UK and fight him instead? I, that's a much more entertaining competitive fight. And if you do want to come over to America and introduce yourself to the American fans, why not come over and fight Jarrell Big Baby Miller? Fight him in New York. Get the New York fans, the New York media to see a big, strong English-speaking heavyweight, even though he's not American, fight a New York-based American heavyweight. Delete that up. Delete it up. So there's another option there for Team AJ, and I would, I would welcome that. And, you know, for Miller, he's going up against a tall guy. That does help him somewhat prepare for that eventual title shot against the Joshua, against the Wilder. So, guys, that's the way I see it. Let me know what you think. Like, comment, share, subscribe. I'll see you at the fights.